Welcome back to the Anglo-Boer War podcast with me, your host, Des Latham. We're up to episode 31, the Battle of Sunna's Post, and De Wet goes after Cape Afrikaners. Last week, we concentrated on Mafeking, with Lord Baden-Powell in charge and seemingly invincible, but running out of food. Mafeking is quite a crucial little town in South Africa's history, and it's always surprising. As I record this in 2018, for example, the residents have taken to the streets this week in the frontier town, demanding the Premier of the province be fired for corruption and poor service delivery. Some things never change. That's not surprising if you consider the last two podcasts, which focused on how much Mafeking resonates, what with Sol Pleike, the black journalist who was in town in 1899 and ended up working as a translator, there was Lady Sarah Wilson, the aunt of Winston Churchill and her famous card games in town during the siege, and of course Lord Baden-Powell himself, who may have had a somewhat murky approach to race relations, yet is venerated globally as the man who started the Scouts. Now we swing back to the Orange Free State, and there's a very good reason. His name is General Christian de Wet, the famous Boer commander. If there ever was a person who fit the bill as cometh the hour cometh the man, it was de Wet. He convinced his officer commanding General Joubert to allow the Free Staters to go on leave for home after Bloemfontein was captured by the British. De Wet's logic was simple. His men had been away from home for six months fighting the mighty British Empire, and despite incredible victories, they had lost the Orange Free State capital. Six months away from home meant most were missing their loved ones, although some had brought their entire families who moved with the Boer commandos in their ox wagons. So de Wet took a momentous gamble. He'd sent the men home saying they should reassemble back on the railway bridge over the Sand River north of Bloemfontein on the 25th of March 1900. While his decision was regarded as military suicide by General Yobert, the British had made it easy for him. Lord Roberts had called a halt to his march to Pretoria in order to rest the troops and wait for his logistics to catch up. Both sides took a breather. Historians are quick to point out that Lord Roberts had created a nightmare by overriding his logistics leadership and adopting a somewhat gung-ho attitude to the movement of his uh, material. Now he was paying for his rash decision to put the bloody Lord Kitchener, your country needs you, in charge of food, provisions, equipment, support and transport. So as Lord Roberts waited for his men to recover and battled a typhoid outbreak, Boer General Christian de Wet hatched some plans. He had taken this risk sending his men home, but discipline was slack, morale was rock bottom. The vet figured out that those who returned would be the most motivated and therefore most useful in the next round of warfare he planned, which featured what we now know as guerrilla tactics. While Hubert was wrong, de Wet was right. Virtually all the men returned on the 25th of March, invigorated by their R&R. The only men who did not return were those from the districts under direct British control. So de Wet devised his own flying column and was joined by General Philip Boerter. They were to ride south from Sand River to Bloemfontein to lure the British out of their sedentary position, joining up with General Ulefi's men who were withdrawing north from the Orange River. Lord Roberts took the bait somewhat. He had heard about the movement of the Boers, but wasn't sure where they'd attack or even what their main aim was. That's because the Boers themselves were vague about exactly what they were planning to do next. Their overriding tactic was to keep killing British soldiers in ambushes and in isolated areas, while the battle strategy was unclear. 
Roberts decided he'd order part of General French's cavalry 38 kilometres north of Bloemfontein to a place called the Glen, where the Free State Railway intersected the arc of the Morda River. De Vert was aiming at Sanna's Post, or Sanna's Post, nearly 50 kilometres east of the Glen and a half-day's ride north of Bloemfontein. That was a gamble, had Roberts been a little more wide awake. The reason was simple and brilliant. Sanna's Post was the source of all the drinking water for Bloemfontein and Lord Roberts had only posted a few hundred troops there. De Vett was leading 1,500 burghers, so he rightly believed that the coming battle would be in his favour. But he couldn't ignore Lord Roberts's army of 40,000 men posted close by in Bloemfontein. What's more, reinforcements were arriving daily. It's a bit like pinching the tail of a lion and hoping to make good your escape before it can swing around and deal you a deadly blow. So De Vett was relying on speed and subterfuge. De Vett was to be pleasantly surprised by what happened next. It's not every day that a semi-defeated army rises up and smites a far larger foe after being hustled away from its capital city. So the sun rose on a misty autumn day on March 31st at Sanna's Post, and the first thing that Brigadier General Robert Broadwood realised was that he'd been ambushed. Broadwood was in charge of a cavalry brigade because he showed dash, courage, confidence, bravado, and Lord Roberts believed that these were fine characteristics of a commander of men riding horses into battle. He may have considered a few others which in Brigadier General Broadwood were somewhat lacking, such as military nous, smarts and awareness. He appears to have been lacking in military genius because Broadwood failed to send out scouts ahead of his mounted column because he thought it too large to attack. There were 1,700 men in this powerful unit. It all started with politics. We all know just how contorted politics can be even when war is politics by other means. Broadwood had been left to distribute pamphlets while his commanding officer, the equally dashing General French, galloped back to Bloemfontein to possibly attract the attention of the fairer sex, or at least to have a bath and a beer. So what Broadwood was doing was called bill posting, distributing pamphlets along the route to Lesotho, which lies to the east of Bloemfontein. These days, we'd call it the Battle of Hearts and Minds. He was distributing bits of paper in the district of Tabanchu, which was also called the Kill the Boer with Kindness Expedition. Brigadier General Broadwood didn't really care for this assignment. He was a military man of action, and they were the enemy. However, hovering close to him to the south was General Ulufied, who was supposed to meet up with General De Vett, and Broadwood was trying to stay out of Ulufied's way because he had a significant force of 6,000 Boers, all mounted, all swift riders, most good shots. So on the 30th of March 1900, Broadwood wired Roberts to say he was retiring to the safety of the waterworks at a group of small buildings at Sanaspos. The 1,700 men with him were mostly Remington's Tigers, the cavalry unit pulled together from local South African English-speaking colonials. However, only 332 of those were on horseback. The rest were travelling partly on foot, marching across the felt, or on board the 92 wagons which carried supplies and many refugees seeking protection of Roberts's army. The drivers of these wagons were all black South Africans. Broadwood could seek sanctuary at Sanaspos and set up his batteries of horse artillery and then hunker down. As they retreated, Ulufu's commandos skirmished with Broadwood's men, ensuring they had little rest, harrying them. 
The pumping station comprised the collection of buildings on the western bank of the Moda River. Close by was a ford where the main Bloemfontein Tabanchu wagon road crossed the river. There was another ford five kilometres to the west where the road recrossed a tributary called Corn Spreit. From there to Bloemfontein, it was open ground running around 35 kilometres away. Just before midnight, Broadwood's lead column arrived at the pumping station and was mostly a convoy of the 92 wagons and joined by the civilian refugees along with a small escort of mounted infantry. Broadwood and the rest of the 1700 arrived after three in the morning, bedraggled and worn out after the slog from Tabanchu and fighting off Ulufil on the way. The Brigadier General then didn't issue any orders regarding guards, assuming his only danger was General Udufir, who was far behind. He had no idea that lurking close by was one of the Boers' best generals, Christian de Vett. In de Vett's book, Three Years' War, he says simply, My object was to surprise the little garrison at Sanas Bos, which guarded the Bloemfontein waterworks, and thus to cut off the supply of water from that town. De Vett summoned his generals and sent 350 men under Commandants Fourie and Nell to nearby Corn Spreit. As we'll see, that would be a bit of inspired leadership. The local commander at Sanaspos was Major Amplett, who told Broadwood he'd seen no Boers nearby, while four men were told to scout the countryside to the north and east at dawn from where Ulufir was thought to be moving towards their position, just in case this large force appeared although Ulufir was around 50 kilometres away at least. Soon the four men were seen galloping back, followed by rifle fire and shelling from a small kopi on the south bank of the Moda. Broadwood was perplexed and decided to withdraw his entire force to the highest ground called Bushman's Kop. He had no idea what force was firing on his men, but that meant his trundling wagons had to renegotiate corn spread. And this is where the Brigadier General made his fatal decision not to send a mounted party ahead just to check the lie of the land, because hidden from view lay de Vett's 350 men waiting to pounce. As the wagons rounded a bend and emerged from the spreit, the advance unit, which was preceded by the refugees, was surrounded by Boers who shouted, Hands up! De Vett had allowed the civilians to pass, then grabbed the military prize. In seconds, more than 200 British soldiers were captured, but the biggest loss was the seven artillery pieces they bagged without a fight. As the rest of the British unit ran for cover, de Vett's men opened fire with great precision, causing many casualties, over 400 in the end. Then 1,100 other Boer burghers who were east of the Moda now hurried to de Vett's assistance. He writes, Our men on the Moda River now attacked the enemy with the greatest energy and succeeded in putting them to flight, thus bringing the battle to an end. Broadwood himself was still organising the unit at the rear, still at the pumping station when the battle began. He was trapped between three forces. De Vett, who'd captured his lead unit, a second based on the corpies to the south, and a third led by General Ulufir to the east. It could have been worse, except for the heroics of a certain Major Edward Phipps Hornby of the Royal Mounted Artillery, who'd spotted De Vett's men at Cornsprate and ordered his men to do a U-turn and hightail it back to Sanna's post with five more horse-drawn artillery pieces. As he thundered back, his men were picked off by the Boers. Of the 50 officers and men of that company, only one officer, Phipps Hornby himself, and eight men made it back to the post with their guns. The rest were dead, wounded, or captured. 
Broadwood had already realized he was in real trouble and dispatched an officer of the 10th Hussars Cavalry Unit to ride like the wind to Bimfontein to ask Lord Roberts for reinforcements. Phipps Hornby, meanwhile, splashed all over with the blood of his men, rode back to Bloemfontein, following the Hussar messenger, and arrived later, where he apparently proceeded to down three whiskies and sodas, ate a breakfast of bacon and sausages, then collapsed in tears and emotional wreck. The fog of war now settled its cold, clammy hands on the little Lord Roberts, who proceeded to make a number of miscalculations. Instead of mobilising part of his powerful cavalry and going for the high ground between the post and Bloemfontein, or even ride out with the staff officers to take stock himself, he seemed to panic. Lord Roberts was convinced that Bloemfontein itself was in real danger, and he refused to dispatch the large cavalry unit under General French to relieve Broadwood. Instead, he ordered units to hunt around Bloemfontein for signs of an attack. Then he sent 10,000 infantry corps soldiers to march to Sanaspos, led by Colville. That would take more than a day, even though the felt was undulating and hardly difficult to negotiate. They were on foot, of course. But Christian de Witt was just getting started, and nimbly outmaneuvered Colville, who was leaden-footed in comparison. On the 3rd of April, de Witt gave a repeat performance of Sanaspos at a small outpost called Mostertshoek, which was 60 kilometers south of the Moda River. As the Boer force moved, they were joined by the Free State burghers who had left their farms as the commandos surged south. De Witt was aware he had to move fast and was tracking a few hundred British soldiers under Captain W.J. McWinney, who had no idea that the Boer force was actually watching their every movement. The attack on Mostatshoek began on the 3rd of April, and at first De Wett had sent Captain McWinnie a note saying, in a civilised way, Sir, I am here with 500 men, and am every moment expecting reinforcements with three craps, against which you will not be able to hold out. I therefore advise you in order to prevent bloodshed to surrender. To which McWinnie replied, I am damned if I surrender. As soon as the vet received that response, he ordered a full attack, rushing the English positions on a small rise. The defensive position was not ideal, and the Boer reinforcements did indeed arrive, so that the Boers numbered over 800 to the British 500. The battle commenced with the Boers firing their artillery into the British position for four hours, and eventually the troops under McWinney's command gave up and waved a white flag. Over 100 English were dead, including the captain, who had damned himself and 99 of his men by not surrendering. 470 soldiers belonging to the Royal Irish Rifles and Mounted Infantry were taken prisoner. De Wett is taciturn about these facts. He wrote, But I cared nothing to what regiment they belonged to or what was the rank of the officer in command. Throughout the war, I never troubled myself about such matters. Boer losses were seven. One dead, six wounded. The Boer commander was on a roll and decided he'd keep moving, this time to Vipina, 110 kilometres southeast of Bloemfontein. That was after he'd dispatched the prisoners to be marched to Winbach via Tabanshu, and then, by rail, they'd be taken to Pretoria. But some bitterness awaited De Wett as he rode to Vipina in the south, close to the Lesotho border, for there the town was being held by Cape Afrikaners, who decided to fight for the British, and under the command of a certain Colonel Dalgety. They were despised by the Boers, who regarded them as traitors, and any fight between these two units would have been bloody and had De Wett pressed the matter fatal to his cause. 
When you seek revenge, they say, dig two graves. And de Vette was too clever to be driven purely by emotion. He was a military general worth his salt, but still he was angry. His men wanted these Cape Afrikaners to pay as much as possible in blood. So he surrounded Vipina. De Vette was in two minds, as he describes this moment. The history of Ladysmith, Mafeking and Kimberley served me as a warning and I asked myself whether it would be better to besiege the wolf or to wait and see if he would not come out of his lair. But the wolf would not be enticed out of Vyapana, and Lord Roberts had dispatched more units as he became aware of just what damage de Vett was causing to his army. In Vyapana, the defences were all very well prepared, and Dalgety didn't flinch. De Vett ordered a two-pronged attack on the town on the 7th of April, one to the southwest and the other to the southeast, opening fire on the town from around a kilometre away. The Boers managed to seize 800 trek oxen and most of the enemy's horses. While he shelled the defences, De Vett mused, There was not a man amongst us who would have asked better than to make prisoners of the Cape Mounted Rifles and Brabant's horse. They were Afrikaners! and as Afrikaners they ought, in our opinion, to have been ashamed to fight against us. They were also being paid five shillings a day by the British, which is probably around 200 rand in today's money. That horrified the Boers still further. For a measly five shillings, these Cape Afrikaners would consider killing their own brethren. It made them seethe. The vets spat. Such men, alas, there have always been since the first days of the human race. Cain killed his brother Abel, but Cain had not long to wait for his reward. However, De Vett was not a suicidal fool. While they besieged this garrison, he dispatched General Frunemann further south to Alliwell North in the Northern Cape to try and shake Lord Roberts further out of Bloemfontein. The British commander obliged to some extent. Eventually, De Vett was forced to withdraw his commandos, as Roberts did send out 25,000 men in a number of forays to try and deal with this brilliant Boer commander. Eventually, Christian De Vett was forced to withdraw from Vipanar after 16 days' siege, and General Frunemann was called back from Aliwal North, both headed to the Airy to the north, living to fight another day. Roberts's force now numbered 50,000 men, and it was lumbering back to life. While De Vett's insurgency had frightened the British, it only postponed the advance of his grand army. On the 2nd of May, Roberts was ready once more to advance to Pretoria, while Colonel Brian Mahon's flying column was sent to the northwest to relieve Baden-Powell in Mafeking. Way to the north, in the Transvaal capital, 16-year-old schoolgirl Frieda Schlossberg updated her Pretoria diary. 26th of April, 1900. General de Vett is withdrawing from Vipina. A great dynamite explosion occurred yesterday near the artillery ammunition factory, resulting in the loss of 10 lives and 57 injured. Much of the machinery is damaged. A certain Mr. Begbie has been arrested, as he is suspected of having caused the explosion. Things were moving quickly in the metropolitan areas of the Anglo-Boer War. On the 2nd of May, Lord Roberts formally resumed his advance to the north, it had taken a huge effort, but now everything was in place. The men had recovered their strength, their equipment had caught up, gaps in the ranks caused by the typhus epidemic and casualty rate in battle had been filled and the Boers under De Vett had been driven away. However, 
It had taken 25,000 troops to move the 2,500 Boers under De Wet, but step by step they'd pushed the commandos back. These small battles and skirmishes were covered by Winston Churchill, who continued to war report for the Morning Post newspaper in the Free State. He'd removed the silly cockade of black Sakabula birdtail feathers in his hat, worried, of course, that a sniper may find him a juicy target. He'd managed to get close to De Wet at Vierpena, and on the 21st of April was in the saddle tagging along with Montmorency's scouts with their distinctive death's head insignia. It was with these scouts that Churchill survived another close call, almost captured in a skirmish with Boers near Vierpena, where the horse he was hanging onto was shot and finally died after it had galloped away to safety. Kruenstadt lay in Lord Roberts's sights, the town north of Bloemfontein, where President Steyn had initially retreated after the capital fell. So we'll call a halt to our podcast proceedings at this point and take a roll call. In the meantime, please rate the podcast if you can on iTunes and take a look at our website, abwarpodcast.com. Till next week, goodbye. Een zonder gedaan langs die mooie rivierse waal, het zeevroorlogsdagen bleef. O breng mij terug naar die oud Transvaal, daar waar mijn zaar is.